Hey friends, this is Paisley, and you're listening to my film club. Today I'll be talking to my friend and long-term movie pal, Graham Gutman, about the documentary film LA-92, directed by Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin. The film consists entirely of archival footage from the 1992 Los Angeles riots, sparked by the acquittal of the officers involved in the beating of Rodney King. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm just tired, but what's new? <laughs> oh my gosh, not very much, right? <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> I know, like actually not too not too too much, but we're in different time zones, so, you know. I always forget that cuz you're mm-hmm. always awake. <laughs> you know what? I am always awake. I just I think that I am starting to really suffer from this insomnia. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, I remember a few days ago when I, um, when I watched the movie that we're talking about, which is LA 92 for everyone listening. (laughs) Um, I had these nightmares and I had, I had weird dreams and nightmares for like days. (laughs) Really? I did. Yeah. I mean, so you watched it last night. How did you sleep? Um, I mean, restlessly, but I think that, I mean, I've just been ever, I mean, ever since the pandemic started, really, it's, I don't know, I haven't been sleeping very well and the world is increasingly devolving into (laughs) more chaos. Every single day, right? Like, I just need a little bit of a break for sure. I mean, there was good news this morning. The Supreme Court voted to uh, make discrimination based on uh sexual orientation illegal so that's positive oh i mean thank you like finally (laughs) i know i know right like (laughs) thank you for the crumbs sir it's like when you hear all of this stuff you're just like wait (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was it was legal before (laughs) literally i told my mom i was like yeah i could get fired here for being gay and she was like no you can't and I was like, I mean, technically, yeah, I could. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, my gosh. But anyway, like, to start with, I kind of wanted to, like, talk a little bit about, like, our relationship and, like, how we've been basically watching movies together for, like, a decade. <laughs> for a long Literally. time. Yeah. I and... think, what, was The Notebook the first movie we watched together? Or, or am no. I just... No way. I think that I honestly have this memory of like we're in high school and I was trying to find someone to go to the midnight premiere, which is like seeing the midnight premiere for this movie is really funny. The midnight premiere for the film is kind of a funny story. Oh, yes. And like, I don't think I really knew you that well. And I was just like, I'll pick you up. (laughs) We'll go. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I remember that. That had Emma Roberts in it, right? Yeah, it's a very small movie for a midnight premiere, but, like, I was very, very excited, and it was just probably us and a couple of people. (laughs) It's so sad how they don't really do midnight premieres anymore. I know, and we've done, like, we've done a few, like, we, we sat all day for Harry Potter, and I'm not even a Harry Potter fan. I think I just wanted to hang out with you. (laughs) Yeah, like, looking back I'm really embarrassed (laughs) no I thought it was great (laughs) didn't we do that for the Hunger Games too I think we just wanted wanted something to do to be honest 
I mean, we didn't have much to do. <laughs> We're like, yeah, let's just let's just go to the mall and sit in the movie theater lobby for eight hours. <laughs> I mean, it was great because you just we saw what happened in the mall for a full day. <laughs> I know people watching there is great. Yeah, there was like fire alarms that went off, like electrical oh, did- outages, like all kinds of. Stuff. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> that was a good time and then wasn't who was who else was there was like christine there's so many people no like christine like waltzed in at like 11 30 <laughs> <laughs> after we sat there and like got the best seats in town and we were there for the full day i mean it was yeah i mean yeah we were, that would we were be me extra, now extra movie watchers i'd love <laughs> to do that i'd love to still um have exciting release like when the movie theaters are back open <laughs> oh my god i know I'm and there's like... actually stuff to see <laughs> so depressed i know it's 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 really crazy because this is such a big part of my life like i would go to the movies and even if i was like re-watching something i would go at least once a week once every other week like it was it's a yeah. huge part of like my routine and so not being able to go to the movies is Oh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I just like as the pandemic was starting and they just started sort of pushing back every single movie that I was looking forward to over the yes! next month. I and I know it's like a small pain. It's not really that important in the, the large scheme of things, but champagne problems. Hurts. Champagne <laughs> exactly. problems. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I've been I, I've, it's hard to find something new to sort of to sort of watch like on Netflix or something because I kind of I I just need it to be presented to me like it needs to be premiering like so when I'm at so even stuff that's new new released on Netflix like there just doesn't seem an urgency to watch it you know like yeah I don't know but I think the m- most urgent thing I feel like I wanted to watch on Netflix when it was released was like. Um... That one movie with Sandra Bullock, Bird, or Bird Box. I never it, watched I that. It's not worth it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but because it was Sandra Bullock, I felt compelled to sort of watch it, I guess, because it felt like, you know, like a big budget movie. And then it just... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will not watch Bird Box then. I think that's something that's something that has been like in my queue, my Netflix queue, for maybe like three or four years. <laughs> Yeah, it should stay there. <laughs> yeah, it it probably it, it definitely will stay there. I I know I'm not going to remove it. Um but yeah, I've not I've not gone to that and every time that I go to sort of watch a new movie from my queue, I'm like, you know what? Let's just turn on Ladybird. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah. Oh my gosh. But the reason that I watched LA 92 was because it was just sort of directly after I went to the london black lives matter protest um that took place from parliament square um which was amazing like an experience that i i didn't see for myself at the start of the week it was on a saturday (laughs) and i didn't you know like i didn't what happened that monday which was just a few days after the the murder of george floyd you know i didn't know that that's how my week was going to go i didn't know that i was going to be feeling the way that I was feeling and like the days like before the protest I was having like I wasn't I was feeling kind of pissed off 
And yeah. like, I, I didn't, I felt really triggered and all, all that I was experiencing was really just like sort of repost and stuff on Instagram and Facebook. Right. Yeah. Like, and so because like there wasn't too much for me to do, like I'm not really working, I'm still at home. Like all of this stuff was just really kind of circling around in my head. And I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. Like, how did you feel um, after all of this kind of like erupted? Well, you know, it really felt, I mean, the amount of people that have showed up for these protests, not only in the U.S., but around the world has been like astronomical. And I think that really speaks to the growth of the movement since, you know, Black Lives Matter did blow up in like 2013, 2014 with the George Zimmerman verdict and then uh, Michael Brown and Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And so on the one hand, it was inspiring, but on the other hand, you know, it is upsetting because it's like, we still have to be out here. Yeah, we still have to be out here. Yeah, we still have to be doing this like we and we still have to be explaining to you people why Black Lives Matter. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, I would see something and I would my feelings would be wait, you don't know about this. Wait, like this is brand new. Um, And I don't know, it was really tough for me not to kind of judge people like in their sort of journey of awareness um, yeah. and just not, not try to have some sort of intellectual battle with other people. Um, and then I, ha- I had some, what really was triggering for me was having to kind of look at myself and see that like, you know, I've been escaping with the internet for like a couple months now because I've got nothing better to do and see that, um, there wasn't really anything for me to see there that, you know what I mean? Like there wasn't really any new information. It was sort of like white, white people needing to share with other white people. And because of what my timeline looks like, because I do have mostly, you know, white friends from Texas, white friends from the UK. um, There wasn't anything really speaking to me. It felt like everyone was speaking about me and that, and it just felt really shitty. And I, you know, like, I I remember there was one thing that was, it shouldn't have bothered me so much, but it was like a cartoon of like these three girls, three black girls. And they were all wearing like t-shirts. And one was like, see my struggle, see my oppression, see my color. Each one of the shirts said that. And for me, I, I, it was, it was reposted from like a black Instagram site. But when I saw that I was, post like being reposted by this white girl I just felt like if I don't want this white girl to look at me and see oppression and I was just pissed (laughs) yeah I see that I feel like so much of it has become performative but I also struggle with that because I think that that is what social media is inherently designed for anyways exactly yeah but but as far as like, I mean, like I sent you that post of that white girl that I knew that posted <laughs> the pictures of her one black friend and said, I love you. You're a light of my life. Like, I don't know what you're going through, but I stand for you. Like, read the room. Like, it's a little, t- it's like a little tone deaf. And who, who is the post for? Surely you can just text your friend that you love her. It, yeah. And it's just, I mean, 
but the thing is like these things really frustrate me but I don't really know what I want people to do like if I were to say to someone like your posting is like triggering me and annoying um you know apart from taking it down and being silent which is also bad I don't really know what would make me feel um you know less triggered anyways like it's very it's very complicated for me Yeah. And I'm trying to, I was, I did not feel any better about this. I was about to like delete all my friends and like, because I was just sick of being everybody's sort of only black friend and um, like people texting me asking how I'm doing. And I wanted to say like, I'm not doing great because of you, <laughs> but, that, but that wasn't really completely fair. So I kind of was like, okay, let me just take a couple days and just read yeah. I was reading articles and stuff still and reading news but I wasn't <clears throat> like I wasn't so much on social media because it was just annoying and then after I went to the protest I felt such a sense of calm because I could really feel and see that this was a real thing because yeah. watching stuff on your phone it feels it feels there's stuff right now because everything is so wild everything feels like kind of propaganda or it feels too dramatic and it's hard to get a sense of the feeling. And so after the protest, I felt like I was really actually doing something other than just sort of yelling in my echo chamber or, you know, <laughs> or ranting, yeah. to my, ranting to my husband about like everything as usual. But um, that's what brought me to, to watch LA 92. Yeah, I see, I had uh, seen clips of the movie because my brother had been watching it. And so I saw a little bit of the Latasha Harlan's segment, mm-hmm. whose death I had not heard about. Me neither. Prior to Me neither. This, this movie, which is insane because, I mean, it, it occurred 13 days before the verdict, I think, if I'm correct. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously so closely linked. And so the fact that we did not hear about this in the context mm-hmm. of the Rodney King riots is just, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. It's interesting to me the ways in which even our most recent history is erased like that. Yeah. So, I mean, to, you, to know that story helps you to understand like what took place in Koreatown and yeah. to and you see these videos of Korean um, you know Korean citizens of the United States that are protecting their property and um, they were looted overwhelmingly in these riots and um, yeah, it's not said, just yeah. I think they said it was 65% of businesses looted and rioted it was huge it was huge and there was there wasn't anyone protecting them so uh, you know, like th- that's, that was one of the, that was part of the footage that was, I mean, all of it is insane to watch, but what really, really got me was just to see people screaming for help. Yeah. And there was just, there wasn't any help. And um, yeah, it was, oh, it's, it's crazy, crazy to watch. Um, but I guess a little bit of history about um, the Rodney King Los Angeles 1992 riots is that this was a series of riots and civil disturbances in April and May 1992. And the unrest began in South Central LA um, just hours or so after the announcement of the acquittal of the officers that um, beat Rodney King. Um, 
And so what makes this really kind of relevant to what's going on now is because this is early 90s where things were probably still a lot like everything was still unseen, but this was recorded on video, a home video made by a resident um, who was nearby. And so it's similar to um, it's similar to George Floyd because you did actually everyone did get to watch it and they saw the crime for what it was and um, the officers were not held responsible. And so we still don't know if the officers will be held responsible for George Floyd. Yeah, I, they fucking better be. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that was happening with me during the sort of week of me being frustrated before the London protests is that I knew already how this sort of thing goes, which, you know, like (laughs) the officers are hardly ever held responsible. So uh, I feel like that really interfered with my, the passion that I, that I felt like I deserved or could have towards this case, because it, you know, there's a, there's a certain level of just being desensitized to it because we, we've seen this already. Like we know. Yeah. We know that we know the outcome. We know the outcome. And so that's why it's sometimes hard to engage and um, people do end up backing away. And I do feel like, I need to be a lot better about that. <laughs> yeah. I think with, yeah. with with this specifically with George Floyd, it does seem to be um, monumental in a way. And so I'm really hoping that this sort of public pressure works to uh, have a jury convict them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and what, I think that's what was so startling about the Rodney King riot or the Rodney King case was that there's video evidence. You literally watch a video and the same thing happens now. And I think hopefully, you know, the kind of public pressure that's happening now will lead to uh, some mode of justice. But I mean, even then we still don't have the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor, you know, in jail or charged with murder, they are still on the force. And, you know, there's been in the last week, multiple murders of unarmed uh, black Americans in the streets um, at the hands of police officers that have gone um, not unnoticed, but um, definitely have been, I feel not as talked about. Yeah. I do, I do feel that courts are a little bit resistant to trials by media, um, which, you know, there's, there's reason for that, that I may not agree with or disagree with, but um, I think that's another reason why I was feeling desensitized to it because I think that, I think that, you know, online activism or even in-street activism kind of exists separately from, the justice system Um, and because it's not necessarily I mean even if you do have a jury um, I don't know where they would have if they're if this does go to trial with George Floyd I I I don't know where they would hold it you know what I mean because everybody knows about this like there's no everyone has a bias and uh, it'll be interesting yeah so interesting I feel like it it will be very difficult like for them like if they were to move 
try to move the case out of the city like they did with moving the uh, trial of the officers to Simi Valley. Like any sort of misstep, I yeah. think, is going to be under such scrutiny mm-hmm. that um, I'm afraid the process is going to take forever, you know? And yeah. I'm afraid that, you know, as attention deficit as this country is, I... I'm afraid that people are going to move on and, you know, not care when the time really does come Yeah. to, to, I mean, the time is always here to care, obviously, but, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as like the case goes and things like that and the actual trial. One thing that I've noticed about just people's behavior, um, which it's been really easy to observe during the pandemic because there's so, there's so many things that are really curious. Like, so for example, um, so we have to start wearing face masks today um, on public transportation. Obviously there are plenty of people like have been wearing it this whole time, um, you know, or at least in the past month or so, once we were able to sort of move around a little bit more, more things were opening up. Um, but I went on a train on what was it Saturday so two days before you have to wear a face mask and nobody was wearing one even though two days from you know two days from then you'd have to wear one and so I think people I I don't think that people want to burden themselves more than they have to Um, and even like there's not going to be a massive difference between Saturday and Monday but yet no one was in a mask and I just thought I, I just didn't know what to think of that. I just thought it was interesting. Like people don't want to, um, and even with the slightest sort of glimpse of hope, like say maybe a death toll tally sort of uh, went way down for a day or two. People are, you know, that were sort of like dodging me on sidewalks and stuff or not is paying attention. You know, they're kind of almost running into me again um, just because a little, a little bit of a glimpse of hope. And I think that, is the with the pandemic and also with um, the Black Lives Matter movement, there's going to be a lot of people that um, drop the ball, like whenever it's most needed. And so, yeah, got to keep, got to keep talking about it, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. In the Rodney King, um, in the LA ninety two documentary, you do sort of see um, where what happens right after the verdict. And um, in the, you, they have footage of the fight that broke out. And you have people saying, like, that, you know, they just started a war, I think was the quote. Yeah. Are you talking about in front of the courthouse in Simi Valley? Yeah. 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 And just to sort of one of the things that I found really interesting was this woman who said, you know, he has no business, you know, driving down the road with like a belly full of beer, she had said. And I thought, like, do people feel like if you commit any sort of crime that you should you should be, you know, punished violently? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's the same thing with um, with George Floyd, whereas he doesn't have a perfect record and he was under arrest. Do people feel that you're deserving of death? It's just such a medieval way to think. And I know that it's racist, but it's just, it's mind boggling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. of course, it's not great to be drunk driving, but whoever heard of you need to be beat nearly to death 
after drunk driving and people just saying that the police officers were doing their job. And I think that they just sort of antiquated police officers and punishment, even if it was violent as something that was okay. Yeah, I think it's insane the lengths people go to justify this violence that police commit against Black people for such minor infractions. You know, yeah. they they do this do these mental gymnastics to find, like, a smidge of potential resistance in a video or, right. um, you know, uh, uh, a smidge of I was fearing for my life, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I think it... it it is it is mind boggling in a way that this racism is so deeply ingrained in these people that are watching these videos that they themselves can feel okay justifying that sort of thing. And I think it's like with the video of Latasha Harlan that we see in the film, um, even if she was shoplifting, which we can see in the video that she wasn't because she had cash in her hand as she was attempting to pay for the orange juice. Mm-hmm. You don't, she didn't deserve to be shot in the back of the head. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't speak to the relations between the black community and the Asian American community in LA. I, but it, it, it is stunning to me that that woman's first instinct is to, as Latasha is walking away, literally pull a gun and shoot her for nothing. And then for a judge to say that this person wasn't a threat, this person who shot someone in the back of the head wasn't a threat. Literally. There's that footage of what she says is she says she knows a criminal when she sees one. And um, I think that just said so much um, as you're watching this documentary just to see someone just kind of verbatim just admit that um, she doesn't look like a criminal to me. Like she doesn't fit the stereotype of what a criminal looks like. So murder or not, she should walk free. And um, I think that the same thing happens with police. Police are, you know, they have this vision or they have this, they're presented to us as, as people that are here to help us. And they're yeah. here to help the community. When you look at them, you see a badge, you see all of their gear. Um, so they don't look like killers. So therefore, when a judge looks at them or when certain people look at them, they don't pose any threat. Um, doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter what if it was on camera. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's just really, <laughs> that's really crazy. I, I, I feel like I've, yeah, I can't yeah. get over it. <laughs> I was reading this book uh, recently called The End of Policing by Alex Vital, and it kind of sort of talked about like this perception of police officers and why they're sort of revered in the way that they are, yet they're, yeah. they're so combative and they're so sort of, um, they have this like us against the world mentality where they are fighting this sort of war on, you know, civilians as if we're living in a war zone and uh it creates this sort of heroic identity this like inflated sense of i'm doing the right thing here and Mm -hmm. i think i think that sort of allows them to avoid uh 
any sort of accountability, you know, because if they're fighting this constant war against communities, then, you know, you can, you can inevitably, inevitably justify anything, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you really, if you really need to. Yeah. There's also, you know, I, I, the first time that I watched it, I, I didn't really know much about it say it's like the existence of of you know of the event i hadn't really Mm -hmm. seen much i hadn't really seen much footage i wouldn't have known like where the riot started and really like how long it was and you know what kind of destruction there was which was looting and arson and assaults and um you know there was property damage and murder i didn't i didn't know all of that and so you know I had some some curiosity. Like I didn't know how to process the fact that all of this kind of started in South Central LA, which would have been, you know, more or less a minority neighborhood. And so I was really curious to know, like, what you thought about the fact that the looting was taking place in, you know, quite a uh, deteriorated sort of area. Um, I think that I I recently watched a video um, from, I think her name is Kimberly Jones, and she's sort of giving this passionate speech about, um, you know, the whole situation, looting, rioters, protests, et cetera, et cetera. And she's wearing a, a George Floyd shirt. And um, she says, like, when people criticize them for looting and rioting in their own communities, she said, but we don't own anything, but we, but, but it's not ours, you know, you, you take it from us. And so while I think it's easy to stand here and condemn looting and rioters, especially in your own community, I think it's ignoring the, the point and I think, you know, I'm not an expert in this field, obviously, but as far as like mob mentality or, you know, like group think when a bunch of angry people, impassioned people get together like that, it unfortunately, I guess, plays out that way. Um, sure. You know, and I think, yeah, it's hard for people to... um take pride in their community when they don't have the funding to fix, you know, fix it or, you know, make it better for everyone there. And, you know, and these social safety nets that are supposed to like protect and uplift this community are taken away from them and given to other white communities. And so they don't Mm. feel any sort of connection beyond you know, material. And so I think that's what more so what I, how I see it, I guess. I think, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it it, felt like, Oh, good. Well, I, I would say that it was just like, this was, this community was wounded. Like it was a wound and it was festering. Yeah. And so this was just, I mean, it felt like everything that was happening with Rodney King and then the verdict and Latasha um, Harland, like it was just kind of the infection kind of just broke out right, right sort of where, where it started. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that was, yeah, that was really hard to watch. It was really hard to watch um, the people that were trying to convince everyone to stop, which is what I think that is being sort of underreported and it's very manipulative because, you know, even, even in this documentary, it sort of fails to, to show very much of um, how people, not everybody was riding, that there were civilians trying to stop all of this. Um, You know, they, they do show some, they do show some footage, but one thing that I was really disappointed that was missing in the documentary is they showed this helicopter footage of, um, you know, these men pulling people out of uh, trucks and cars and, you know, essentially beating them half to death. Yeah. Um, But there were people that were rescued by civilians um, that were black. And so I thought that, you know, not showing that was a little bit manipulative because this does, this does happen. There was nobody else to rescue these people. There wasn't any police. They wouldn't go down there. And so people from the community were taking it upon themselves. And that's happening even now. Like this, uh, this past weekend, there was sort of a, (laughs) I mean, it's the silliest thing in the world, but it was a, basically a white supremacist far right sort of protest, I guess, Mm -hmm. who sort of came in, they came in under the guise in central London in mass to say that they were like protecting the statues. Um, And, you know, like they were kind of just chanting, drinking beers, causing trouble, throwing things. And um, whenever fighting, whenever fighting started to take place, um, there was, a group of men, I think it was about 12 of them or so, who had come because they heard this was going to happen and they worried about violence. And they weren't there really to protest. They were there to um, help protect people. And they didn't, it wasn't just to protect people of Black Lives Matter. They were there to protect any people. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, there's this photo that's on all of the um, the newspapers here in the UK and probably further afield as well of just this Black man carrying this... Um, this white man from the far right on his back to safety. And um, I think people need to understand that, that just because you are, just because you are black, just because you're white, doesn't mean that you belong to one certain group. Um, And there's plenty of people that are kind of indifferent to it. And they, you know, and so they, they, they come out and they want to do their very best. And, uh, yeah, I just feel like I just feel like the news wants to see see things that are extreme, more divisive. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's very it's very very divisive. Um, but I feel like the documentary was. I mean, it was particularly hard to watch because of the fact that I didn't really see very many white faces. I don't know. Did you? It was um... mostly. It was mostly just sort of this area of, you know, black community, Latino community, Asian community. Yeah. I saw, I remember seeing like a few whites here and there at when the looting happened, you know, when they did the, the part of the film after like the initial night, night of the riots. And then um, the next day when the streets were sort of deserted and people were like freely looting all those sorts. Uh, that's when I saw, you know, the, the, the white people that come in there taking advantage of an opportunity. 
Right. Um, but it, it, it was very few. I mean, the most white people I saw were, were the cops and when the, the footage from Sim- Simi Valley was playing. Yeah, exactly. Which is yeah. why they moved the trial up there. <laughs> of course, of course. And then, you know, like, even just when you're, when you're watching people set, like, I think even now, there's no way that people can go and say that it's just Black Lives Matter that are sort of looting and damaging like i don't i wouldn't say and i could be wrong about this i don't think that the looting is completely to do with the protest i mean it may start out that way but there's so much stuff that like it's about the unemployment in the area it's about the poverty it's about you know this this festering wound as i said before like of course, like I, I saw this Facebook post um, from someone I shall not name who was <laughs> saying, why, why are people still protesting? Like they arrested the officers and it's, it's really hard to explain that. Like, of course, pe- this is really ignited, um, you know, an uprising, but there's so much that comes to the surface when these sort of things happen um, that you can't, you know, and, and, and people do take advantage of it but at the same time like you know that's one thing that i know there's a lot of people um that are confused about is why is this still happening you know they arrested the the officers or yeah or whatever or you know and even even with the the rodney rodney king riots people were saying why why is this happening in south central la um this is already dealt with and there was somebody i think it was the um police chief who said this should be handled in the courts and not in the streets but it wasn't handled in the courts and so that's why it was being handled in the streets yeah so i think i don't know with with that girl on facebook that you're talking about saying you know why are we still protesting the cops have been arrested i I, yeah and 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 the chief police you know saying like you know however obtusely that the courts should handle it like just really reflects on them and the fact that they don't realize that it, systemic means systemic it means all systems you know so yeah. they the cops can't handle it because the cops did it and the courts can't handle it because the courts are inherently racist and right. you know disproportionately yeah. sentence black americans to mm-hmm. harsher uh sentences so it, i think that just shows their their own sort of disconnect from the situation absolutely um, so was, what did you think about like the footage of Clinton and Bush and the fact that it was happening in an election year and we are currently in an election year. Oh my God. I didn't def- even think about that. Oh my, well, I mean, it is kind of, it is kind of nuts to sort of engage yourself with this documentary and really feel how there's so many similarities and, Oh, it's actually just unreal. Just because you're watching these two men kind of just sort of have like this like tug of war about who is going to um, who's going to come out on top of the situation and who's going to look weak. And Joe Biden and Donald Trump are doing similar things. Yeah, I think I don't know with the whole the George Bush and Clinton thing. I mean, like, and obviously right away it was like. Bush didn't say anything about the actual issue, you know, he didn't say anything no. about black people. He didn't say anything about, um, 
you know, Rodney King, anything like that. And then, I mean, Clinton's statement, sure, was just a tad more nuanced, you know, bare minimum. But, but I yeah. mean, you know, in history, looking back, when Bill Clinton became president, he, maximum sentences, maximum sentencing, he increased police presence on the streets and, you know, uh, the whole tough on crime war on crime rhetoric and Hillary Clinton's own rhetoric about quote unquote, super predators and, and things like yep. that, you know, um, I don't think, you know, there, I mean, it's just knowing all of that, obviously it just makes it all ring a little hollow, which absolutely is upsetting because it's literally the same Thing right now, Donald Trump doesn't even mention the actual issue, and then Joe Biden does the bare minimum, and it still rings hollow because he will never understand. No, I mean they're they're from the same exact camp that exactly. Bush and Clinton would have been from, and that's really disappointing. I mean, oh, I mean, I think that just sort of it's not as if this is Trump's sort of first go at this issue. Like we had Charlottesville, you know. Oh, yeah. And um, we just he, him being complicit is not a debate anymore. Like it's just not. <laughs> yeah. And so we're gonna have. There's gonna be documentaries about about George Floyd and about Black Lives Matter in general. There's gonna be many. Um, the people will talk about it. Um, you know, 20 years from now, same as with the Rodney King riots, and um, yeah, I hope that people can see it for for what it is. It's very, it's very complicated to try and choose between um, political parties and how they deal with unrest because they have, to, they have to be on the side of law and order, and it's disgusting. Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's been a sort of, like, this rhetoric of we need peace, like, we need, you know, like, and condemning the violence and all these things, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it just brings hollow, because it's so clear that, like, either you're not saying what you really feel, or you really just don't understand. Yeah. And I, I'm leaning more towards the latter camp. I don't think that they truly understand, because so many of our politicians these days, Democrat or Republican, are, are in a sort of bubble, you know, and... Completely uh, disconnected. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that they're all literally on the verge of death. Like, at, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, how can you ever understand what yeah. what we're saying? I mean, that's why, I mean, like, not to be reductive, but like, you know, Congresswomen like AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, and like, you know, they're younger, they have kind of the ear for this sort of thing, they're on social media, they're they're listening. So mm-hmm. I I I think that, that gives me a little bit of hope, but I mean they're all yeah. first they're all first term congresswomen, so we'll see how that turns out. Hopefully I mean this inherently corrupt system doesn't turn around and corrupt them as well because that would be very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. It, it's really like disillusion. It's really disillusioning to just think about like the guys running for president were adults in 1992 for Rodney King. They were 
possibly maybe young teens, but still, or uh, older teens, but maybe even adults in 1965 for Watts. Oh like, they, these guys have been out here. Like, they have been here for the whole time, but yet they don't, they've learned nothing, right? Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because they've been able to see how slow change, like, how everything sort of changes slowly. Um, I think things feel a little incremental day to day, but you know, like my dad is um, 72 and, you know, he was, he was, he's been around for all of these things as well. And I, you know, I think that he, he does realize how much has changed in, in those years, but he still has the same sort of foresight that like a, ch- a child has, you know what I mean? Like he just kind of remembers yesterday. And yeah. um, I think that younger people who have, uh, they've got their whole sort of life in front of them are able to judge these things with a bit more empathy and compassion, like the feelings that are necessary. And so, I mean, I don't want to sound ageist because obviously there's, you know, <laughs> there's, there's Angela Davis, there's all these amazing people um, that have been out here and are still out here. Um, but I want to see those people in power or I want to see, um, I want to see these new people rising up. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, that's this presidential election. I'm not excited about it. It's the worst. But... I mean, it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> shit. It's going to, I mean. Uh... How do we, how do we get here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just going to be garbage. Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like not <laughs> like I like I had forgotten over the last couple of weeks that this was an election year. And so I, I was thinking yeah. about it. I was thinking about it the other day talking with Jana and I I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> we're not we're not even done yet. And like 2016 was traumatic enough as it is. Like, this is just going to be. Yeah. Something else. Yeah. I mean, I feel like obviously like we want to talk about things intellectually we don't want to be running around in circles too much because that does happen all the time but let's just say shit is weird right like it's weird it's weird it's really really weird (laughs) yeah like i hate all those jokes online like oh wrong simulation or i hate that i'm living in this simulation but like it does feel like some sort of (laughs) fucked up like sort of game like I don't know not game I hate to say game but it just feels so strange to like like the literal host of The Apprentice is our president and like it's just yeah if, if you really step back and think bigger picture like that just like looking at it it's just like what the fuck what the fuck yeah I feel like that should be an acceptable response to everything like what the fuck (laughs) yeah and it's like and then it's like i think too hard and i get angry about it and it's like we're still dealing with the same shit the same types of people you know like these same old white men old straight white men who think that they know what's best for an increasingly diverse population that does not look like them yeah. And does not act like them and does not think like them and mm-hmm. you know how how do we how do we get them to relinquish their the old guard you know how do we get them to understand like you don't know what's best you just don't yeah. you know because you're yeah. you're gonna be dead in five years i'm not <laughs> it is particularly tough to just see history repeating itself like yeah. when i watched when i watched um 
LA 92, I wanted it to feel like I was watching a historical moment that was far away from me. You know, like I, that's, that's how I wanted to think of it, but it wasn't. And yeah. that was really hard. And that's why I think that I wasn't sleeping too well because I was just like, I felt sort of, I felt kind of fatigued <clears throat> about, um, you know, the stuff I experience now and then stuff that happened before. Like, you know, we don't have, I have, memories about my dad talking about stuff and I think there's certain references in films that you can't really understand unless you've seen um unless you know about the the 1992 LA riots yeah like I just watched the other day Friday that ice cube movie uh-huh <laughs> and I, I mean I just happened to be watching it. I wasn't watching it for police things or anything else I just I just thought it'd be a laugh and so they actually go into a sort of corner store and it says black owned on the windows and then you kind of get in there and this kind of like a Korean man um, sort of, you know, pops his head around the corner. And you just wouldn't understand what the, where that reference comes yeah. from unless, unless you know about the riots, you know. And there's a, sort of a very offensive like gong that happens whenever you see the Korean man, which is, you know, that's just the 90s is wild. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't have I probably would have just not thought anything of that. I wouldn't have I might have been a little bit confused, but I wouldn't have thought anything about it unless I knew um, I knew that during the riots, people did put black owned on their yeah. shop windows so that it hopefully wouldn't be looted. And um, we, we saw some of that with the, the George Floyd protests um, specifically in Minneapolis. I think, I don't know if there were any in other cities, but I did see right. pictures of a few stores where they did have, one of them had literally a sign that said abolish the police or like defund the police or something. And then, you know, yeah. another had a couple of the, um, you know, black owned signs and stuff. But I think, I don't know what really struck me about like certain aspects of the film were um, not only the, the similarities in from that situation to our current situation, but the differences too, because I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at uh, the initial police response, they retreated from the, that, that street corner uh, Normandy and Florence, or uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they retreated from the street corner. You know, the police, the police chief, in a moment that was just too on the fucking nose for me, was literally at a fundraiser uh, uh, for anti-police reform bills while this was all breaking out. And oh, then, God, yeah, and then he he tells oh. he tells them to retreat, and they leave the corner and. And, you know, um, I'm glad they did, because obviously, I think if they had stayed in that situation, more black lives probably would have been harmed by cops. But looking at the situation now and just seeing this full mobilization of what is essentially a homegrown military force against people who have announced their intention as peaceful is right. is, is, is you know just what one of the biggest differences that stuck out to me and and towards the end I think when the National Guard actually came in an officer said uh, that the riots were worse he said it was worse than Vietnam at least in Vietnam I could shoot back which number one obviously blew my mind because disgusting why would you want to shoot back against people who aren't physically harming you and number two now the cops do shoot back they shoot back tear gas they shoot back rubber bullets 
they use their cars to barrel through groups of protesters, their batons, their bodies, you know, yeah. and, and that kind of evolution. And we pay for that. That's, exactly. that is like, that's a service that we pay for, um, which doesn't seem right. So whenever, whenever people are kind of like confused about defund the police, which I don't know, maybe it's the messaging. Maybe people don't understand that it's sort of a reimagining. There's, there's several different ways to look at it but people are maybe just not taking the time to read anything beyond the headline. But, um, oh, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) I just got interrupted. (laughs) I think it's just, it's just such a, a a quote unquote scary word for people defunding or, or abolishing. It's such Mm -hmm. a, it, 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 but it is a word that is supposed to be reactionary because, you know, like, if it piques your interest, you want to look into it and you want to find out more. And I I wish that were the case, but I feel like so many people are knee-jerkingly reacting to this idea that defunding the police or abolishing the police means that there's going to be no sort of um, protection in our communities, you know, as far as, uh, you know, it just, it has to look radically different. And mm-hmm. most of these people don't need to be carrying guns and we need to be investing in social safety nets like schools and housing and, and, and things like that. And, you know, diverting the billions of dollars that we spend yearly on police into those programs, because I mean, why are we sending a guy with a gun to deal with, you know, a wellness check or somebody who's having a mental health crisis yeah you know it's it's really i mean the the same people that would come to my sort of parties that i used to have to like you know yell at me about a noise complaint are the same people that deal with um everything you know what i mean like yeah just sort of wrap your head around that and and sometimes those those guys are not even really that equipped to deal with a noise complaint you know like we we also just need to be able to judge their training and and sort of be you know, be a part of it. That's yeah. why I think the yeah, com- community surveillance um, done correctly would be would be great. Yeah. No, yeah. I just... think I, I read this like tweet where it was like police officers go through like a hundred or so hours of training and hairstylists go over, go through almost 2000 hours of training, Whew. which blows wow. my fucking mind obviously wow you know i would feel safer around a hairstylist exactly (laughs) at least my hairstylist (laughs) no oh my gosh yeah i mean i just i think it's i think it's just i think it's time to yeah to do something different and to be very i mean I don't think that being patient about things anymore is all that helpful, but we do need to be able to keep the momentum um, because certain things are urgent, you know, like yeah. the, the, st- the stuff that happened over the weekend at the Wendy's, yeah. you know, that's, that is happening all the time on big, uh, things are more, <sighs> more, more dramatic than others, but big and small things are happening constantly. And uh, I, yeah, I just, I, yeah. you know, I really think about, and I was talking to my mother sort of about this last night, who I'm slowly radicalizing, actually, which is kind of hilarious. You're a king amongst kings. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I think one of the reasons this issue is so difficult for so many white people to wrap their heads around is because it is so massive. 
And in order to fix such a yes. massive issue, there is going to be have to be massive structural change and a massive undoing of the foundation of literal society. I mean, not even just the United States, but, you know, I'm, you know, racism is not exclusive to the United States. It is certainly, I think, um, unique in its uh, evolution in the United States. But, you know, there has to be this kind of massive rethinking on a global scale of this like racist mentality and this idea that, you know, the systems that are being built and put in place, like, aren't reformable. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I read a quote from Angela Davis the other day that says, the problem is that reforms have often rendered the institution itself more permanent. And, which is true, you know, you reform the police and, you know, they concede on one thing, but then they ask for two more things in return, like more funding or, you know, more protection for officers in terms of like criminal cases or something. And you are essentially ingraining that institution deeper Mm-hmm. by reforming and it, it, that's why it's like there needs to be an, a complete abolishment and reworking of the way we think about these sort of things in society education housing policing everything yeah absolutely oh man well we are almost out of time graham <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i i feel I feel even just like a little bit lighter after like listening to you talk about all of this. I can't say. (laughs) Yeah. And and so I think that um, I definitely want to be better myself. Like, I mean, just for context for for anyone who might be listening, who doesn't know me, I am a 27 year old black girl from Texas. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but at the same time, like, I'm not really perfect. I, I, I'd like to be, you know what I mean? I'd like to always know what to say and what to feel and how things should be done and everything else. But I, I have to learn too. like just being, being, being black doesn't mean that you have, that you have to exclude yourself from the conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, does it, but it doesn't mean that you need to explain racism to everyone else either. Exactly. You know, like, you, well, that- your own personal growth is the most important thing. Yeah, I, well, I think that's what a lot of white people have felt like lately is they, they're sort of asking to be educated by the black people around them. And I don't think that, yeah. we, that a lot of us realize like that, 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 is on, that onus is on us. You know, yeah, exactly. we need we need to be, you know, black people already have this emotional labor of literally dealing with a racist society every day. You know, for me, yeah. to, for a white person to turn around and then ask them, like, hey, how do I not be racist? Like, that is just more emotional labor that they don't. I don't have need. time for it. Exactly. I don't have time for it. <laughs> and, and, and I so- have to deal with all of this and I have to and I have to keep learning as well. And so. Uh, I, you know, I don't need to be, I don't need to be seen as somebody that is a martyr. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just pretty, I'm just pretty ordinary. And other people may feel differently. But that's another understanding that people need to have is that there are different types of black people. There are different types of, you know, there's different types of people in general. And so if you want to be equal then you have to be responsible for your own self a lot of the times so if you if you want to learn if you want to engage you have to watch things like this even if they are ugly you know you may not feel amazing and uplifted after you watch la 92 but you may feel smarter you may feel more understanding of things that don't affect you you know when you're white so 
I don't know. I, I do really like this documentary. I do like the that it's just archival footage. It really puts you in the into the, the crisis. Yeah. And it, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It gives it to you straight. And it, we need more of that when we talk about race. Yeah, I mean, I we need more of... I think that when we just talk about history too in schools and you know and yeah, then, it doesn't need to be biased do you know what I mean yeah like the documentary didn't really say that it didn't even when talking about the 1965 Watts or any of the other things in context with the riots like Latasha Harlan's it doesn't really say whether white people are bad or black people are bad it doesn't really say any of that it just tells you what happened and um, you can make, you know, you can make your own decision. Um, but when you get all of the information, you can make the right decision. Yeah. So, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We've solved it. We've solved the racism. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, done. Log it off. <laughs> gosh, I'll probably go talk to my mom about this for hours and continue to attempt to turn her into a socialist. <laughs> Listen, if, if you and your mom do a podcast, I will show up. I will be there. Oh my gosh, that would be <laughs> literally so fun. I, I'm sure she'd be super, super into it. I will be like if the first time you have merch, I'm gonna buy it all. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you literally. Can count on, you you can count on me. <laughs> I should have just recorded our conversation last night. I was literally I was showing her videos about like the Tulsa Black Wall Street massacre and like the Rosewood massacre and things like that. Just kind of like trying to like slowly educate her. And you know, she and we watched the end of she watched the end of LA LA ninety two with me because she came into the room and like she just started crying about it all mm. and you know because I, I, I you know I think she's kind of sort of beginning to uh reckon with the fact that as a white woman it's it's been easy for her to ignore things in the past and ignore, right. ignore certain feelings and then I'm kind of trying to hold that up to her and say you're you're not I don't hate you for this, but I do think, you know, it is flawed and, you know, it is something that you need to think about just because you're 61 does not mean that you're done. Yeah. Personal growth doesn't just end. Yeah. Which it's so funny because my dad literally said the other day in an argument about this, he was like, I'm 61. I don't need to change. I've grown. And I'm like, that's exactly, (laughs) that's exactly my fucking point, asshole. (laughs) Um, yeah, no comment. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well, Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope that we can, next time that we do this together, and I hope that we do, let's do something a little bit more lighthearted. But this is important to talk about, and you are the perfect person to talk about it with. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'm glad you asked me. But yeah, let's do something... uh... Let's yeah. do the King of Staten Island or something. <laughs> Make um, fun of Pete Davidson. Um, also thirst after him. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, obviously. But you're not supposed to say that on here. <laughs> I I yeah. Uh, I I'm a very I'm a married woman, but I will thirst after Pete Davidson if I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna go thirst after Pete Davidson in shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to my podcast and our conversation on LA 92. You can find this film on Netflix or on YouTube. It is distributed by National Geographic. For visuals, please follow me on Instagram at Little Film Club. I hope to talk to you guys soon.